are the unfair sex. Four women, four glasses of wine, and a whole world of problems to navigate. Yes, there's going to be some rage, but there's also going to be a hell of a lot of laughing, learning, catharsis, and camaraderie along the way. So grab a glass of wine and join us. Before we jump into this week's main theme, uh, we'd like to share this week's Sorry What Did You Say moment, which was sent in by a listener. So me and my partner decided that we'd like to start a family, and this was before we were married or engaged. I was pregnant at this time of my Sorry What Did You Say. It was just after our first scan at 12 weeks. In fact, we were on our way back from the hospital. And for the sake of confidentiality, my partner's surname will be referred to as B and mine as M. So we decided pre-baby that we would hyphenate our names were we to get married. So MB would be our surname. So when we excitedly shared our first scan photo in the family WhatsApp group, my partner's dad had said, congratulations, welcome baby B. To which my partner corrected him, actually baby MB. My partner's dad then replied, oh dear, poor kid. And my partner's brother said, you are joking, aren't you? So what ties to our side of the family is your firstborn going to have? Sorry, what did you say? Unfortunately, despite future apologies being made, the most special day of our lives together to date was tarnished with misogyny and chauvinism. How shit is that? Surely the ties to your side of the family is part of the surname. It's an equal tie. Precisely. I mean, that's it. It wasn't even like they were proposing that it was going to be only the woman's name, which I think is perfectly legitimate. Also perfectly legitimate because no woman ever says, sorry, so what ties to my side of the family yeah. will the child have when it's when it's the husband, it's the father's Oh, but, but the assumption is that she will, uh, that she's capitulated and taken his name, I guess, you know, so that's also mm-hmm. built in, isn't it? I, was, mm-hmm. I literally had a doctor's surgery yesterday having jabs to go to Kenya and they were trying to refer, um, they, they said, well, how was our names going to show up on the passports? I said to my partners, is it going to be your name? And he, he said, yes. And she went, oh, are you going to be changing your name on the passport? And I said, why didn't you ask him that question? Like, and again, and I know it's such a, like a really small thing. And obviously you're not trying to cause a scene in a doctor's office, but, but it, you, it's still that she assumption. Say? She was like, just, just what you say. And I was like, it's not just what you not. said. No, absolutely it's not yeah it's but the fact again that i think the thing that annoys me not only was it the um oh dear poor kid as if there's going to be some sort of horrific thing going to happen to the child having a double barrel name or any association to the mother but also this idea of that like again you guys said it a few times it's the ties to our side of the family as if the male mm. line is the the one line that should be honored in this process with the firstborn <laughs> That was very specific. But this is the consistent thing that comes up when it's the woman's name or the woman's rights or the woman's pay or whatever it is that's being ignored or that that women are getting less than, then it's just not talked about. But as soon as it impacts men, it's, well, hold on a minute, that's not right. That whoa, 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 what's going on here? And it's all everyone's up in arms about it. Yeah, because men men are entitled. Men are entitled to space. They're entitled to possession of women and their moral goods, to use uh, uh, Kate Mann's term. And women are supposed to yield the self. They're supposed to yield the self to become a wife. They're supposed to yield the self to become a mother. And the Mm. idea that a woman would want anything other than, you know, oh, my God, I get to take his name. I get to go from (laughs) miss to missus. You know, and, and unfortunately, that is the case with a lot of women because that's what they've been brainwashed to, to think is, you know, some sort of 
achievement or some sort of exciting event in their lives or that you know that that's that that's some sort of status symbol almost but it's exactly that isn't it is what we've been trained to think because i unfortunately because of where the status quo is today men feel like they're losing something whereas women uh, are encouraged to feel like they've gained something and actually it's not it's like it should always been equal anyway in the fact that we're trying to get back to that position there's always this conversation of like well what are you taking away from men so like, we're taking nothing away from men we're just regaining what should have been ours to begin with yeah also the fucking nerve to put that into a group chat or whatever yeah you know you know what you're doing that's that's the other aspect of it is even if that's what you think how the audacity to say it and again this is a point that we've touched on before you know the way that women are supposed to absorb awkwardness and that people feel entitled to say things that they know will cause offense you know but but that's the, the expectation as well you're just shut up and i mean what 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 response did they expect at that point equally this father and brother well i think what's interesting about this that they mentioned a little bit earlier on was this idea that they were always going to hyphenate their names so i'm curious as to whether they would have the same reaction from the family his side of the family had they already been married and already changed the name and if they would have just had hassle mm. around the marriage which would yeah, have I, think been... I think whenever it came up would be my expectation that it would have been you know what the hell are you doing aren't you proud of your of your heritage son you know (laughs) your pussy whipped you know a lovely yeah yeah Yeah. there is that there's that phrase that kind of phrase I hate and also oh she obviously wears the trousers yeah I I loathe that phrase yeah because I do that's one of the most that's one of the most effective ways that (laughs) that men um well and not just men that people are humiliate men right and again Mm. it says something about the quality of the man who can be humiliated in this way where that the way to go after him is that suggesting that that he is unmasculine because he respects his partner basically Mm. you know Mm. and so therefore he's not a real man you know and as you say Anne-Marie yeah but she clearly wears the pants which means that you know there's something a bit wrong with you Mm. They come across this kind of discrimination from their gender so rarely that it just doesn't occur to them that the things they're saying off the cuff that they find difficult to take might actually have serious impacts on someone's special day because it Mm. just doesn't occur to them until someone says you're being incredibly insensitive. And I think there's a conversation that needs to be had about, yes, people just being better in terms of recognizing when they shouldn't say stuff like that, but also receiving conversations from other people saying, that was inappropriate and giving an apology so it was poor on their but on their behalf to to be yeah. saying those comments in the first place but at least they apologized for it and hopefully they recognize their mistake as you said i think the the thing is when it comes to like saying stuff off the cuff and people not thinking about what they've said so this situation i think is quite different but someone said to me recently oh i think it's okay now for women to take the man's name because it's easier to find uh family trees so it's easier to like track my history without having a name like where a name stops and it's like what that's that doesn't make any and also, also what about what about women who haven't been able to track their names yeah it makes it easier to track male heritage <laughs> not 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 everyone's oh my god <laughs> yeah. there's a funny story it reminds me of a funny line on um unbelievable truth where it was a comedian doing something about the Vlad the Impaler but anyway she just said something about Vlad's mum 
who didn't have a name because women didn't get names until the 1970s. (laughs) 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 You know, that's what it's like. Yeah. yeah, we don't. Our history doesn't matter. Our lineage. Why would that matter? You, because that's the thing. That's that's exactly it, Ellie. You hit the nail on the head, which is that when they're talking about the family trees, they're talking about the male line, and the women just marry into that. And then you know, yeah. that's that's it. If they get if they get a spot in history with their name, you know, how often on those family trees they don't even know, you know, when the woman was born or when she died. So there was an interesting point though that you made. I want to build on Amory, and it's this idea that it is recognizing when there is an insensitivity in a conversation but also recognizing or respecting the fact that in a partnership there are two voices and whilst you may disagree that in in this particular situation of the sorry what did you say moment where the the father has messaged his family to say this is what's happening and they've responded saying what about the links to us it's like there are two people in that decision making and mm-hmm. it's so rude and disrespectful that you've completely removed the mother from that decision making process. And I think that mm-hmm. more respect has to be had that sometimes when someone comes forward with a suggestion or, you know, saying this is what we've decided on, it's a we. Like we decided that there are two voices in this and it's important to both of us. It's why we come to this conclusion. But again, I think that's the point that we were making earlier, which is that that that, that response inherent in it is that she doesn't matter and her opinion doesn't matter. And, and the fact that, yeah. of course, that's going to be offensive to her doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You know, and, and also that probably. ties in with the fact that I think Rhiannon used the term about sort of off-the-cuff comments and people need to think about them. Well, the thing is they need to not think that way in the first place. Of course, Amen. if you think in a dumbass way, then yes, you should learn to shut up. But but preferably <laughs> you don't think that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, also, what I wanted to say is um, there is this point about people not saying what immediately comes out of, you know, what immediately comes to mind and just being a bit more cautious but i think what really bothers me about this particular scenario is is the desperation of what seems to be men in particular to talk about things that just have nothing to do with them it's got it's none of your business what i call my child it's none of my business what decisions i make with my partner and and what we're talking about here is how, how men perceive it is it oh it's a feminist thing she wears the trousers oh he's obviously pussy whip no what we're looking for is equality what you're looking at there is when you have a double barreled name is a team not someone yes. who's ruling the roost it's people who are making decisions together and get it in yeah. your head and shut and up are... if it's got nothing to do with you and that's exactly the point isn't it is that they're not considering that a couple have made a call together they're thinking that the woman has made a decision and it may well be that the woman's made a decision but the guy said actually yeah that's fair um and like but surely we have to go on the sort err on we made a decision together so why yeah why are you asking about this and why are you saying it's her that's done this and that's exactly what it is. When, you, when you're when you in a team, like when you're in a couple, there will be things that might be incredibly important to her that just aren't important to you. So maybe the surname isn't important to the father because he's got a brother who's already carrying on the family name, for example, and by the sounds of it would never give it up. So that's fine for him to make, you know. Well, maybe he's and like, it's all actually, of these... my family suck. <laughs> 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 Sorry, resist. <laughs> I, I, in fact, that would have been an amazing response if the partner, if the if the partner's brother had been like, well, "What ties to our side of the family will it have?" And the response is hopefully none. You misogynistic, chauvinistic <laughs> pig. Actually, you know what? We're removing we're removing the 
M or the B, whichever one was the father, I can't remember. Thank, thanks, guys. Actually, you're right. We're not going to go double barrel. We're going single, and it's the mother's name. <laughs> that would have been a great response. You have just shown us why. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing as well is, you know, you're lucky enough to have heard that news. Like, they wanted to share that news with you. That then isn't an invitation for any kind of commentary. So, again, it's this entitlement. Yeah, it's a title that you get to comment on what a decision has been made between two people. It's just, you know, for something that doesn't affect you, it's, it's just hilarious. And they must have known that that message was sent with excitement and joy and the wish to share it with friends and family who you care for. So to not respond immediately with congratulations and happiness for them and wishing them all the best and just replying with poor kid. And well, what, what about me? What, what about me that's got nothing to do with the kid? What, what, how, how does it trace back to me? It's just yeah. so selfish. It's ridiculous. Well, a big thank you to our listener for sending that in. Um, as we said, like, super sorry you had to go through that. By the sounds of things, it's, it's you, you worded it perfectly. Like, the most special day of your lives together to date was tarnished with misogyny and chauvinism. And yeah. it's just, it shouldn't be like that. I'm really sorry you went for it. Uh, again, I, we think you've made the best decision. Um, we love the fact that your Baba gets to share your genes and your names. I, I think that's a really beautiful thing. So, um, yeah, fuck them, but great decision on your behalf. Well, very much fuck them, especially because you're doing the thing that they find difficult to take. And next time it happens and there will be a next time, hopefully they'll go, yeah, cool. So we're going to jump into this week's theme, and the theme is ways film has failed women. Now, in this episode, we will be looking at different ways that film and media have failed women, either by deliberately omitting things on the big screen or failing to recognise optimum moments to better educate their audiences. It's worth noting at this point that we recognise our intake of film and media will have been heavily influenced by our upbringings. And whilst we've tried to cast our nets a little wider the older we've come, there will be shows and TVs and movies that we've missed. So if you've got a great example that we haven't shared today, do let us know on Twitter and or Instagram. Now, the first thing to know is that films have been written by men for men. Now, before I get jumped on by the keyboard warriors, let's look at some facts. So the 2022 celluloid, is that right? Celluloid. There you go. Celluloid ceiling report reveals that women make up 12% of directors working on the 100 top grossing films in 2021. When expanding that to the 250 top grossing films, women represented 17% of directors in 2021, down from 18% in 2020. What's most interesting is in 1920, there were more women directors than at any other period of film history. Apparently, there was a book entitled Careers for Women, which suggested that film direction was a viable career choice. But by the time an updated version of the book came out in 1933, that suggestion had been eliminated. So hang on, when was the original book? Sorry. In 1920. So within 13 years, it it got removed as a suggestion for for females as a viable career choice. The same celluloid report we spoke about earlier showed that the percentage of women writers in the top 250 films has increased only 4% from 13% in 1998 to 17% in 2021. It also showed that some pretty poor stats for other areas of film creation. 94 of the top 250 films had no women cinematographers. 92% had no women composers. 
82% had no women directors, 73% had no women editors, and 72% had no women writers. And the cherry on top of all of this is that for the top 100 grossing films in 2018, only 33.1 of all speaking or named characters were women. But it's not all doom and gloom. Women do win on one stat. Any guesses? Getting naked. Getting naked. So in the top 56 grossing films of 2018, and this is across 20 different countries, female leads were four times more likely to be shown naked on screen than similar male roles. And nearly a third of powerful female characters were shown wearing revealing clothing compared to less than 10% of male characters. It actually reminds me, though, um, Anne-Marie, I've definitely shared this with you, the Gorilla Girls of 1989 poster. Oh, yeah. And they were saying that like less than 5% of the artists in the modern art sections are women, but 85% of the nudes are female. Begging the question, do women need to get naked to go to the Met Museum? And it's the same. <laughs> do women need to get... <clears throat> I do, and no one even asks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why are we here? Why is this important? The very real danger of only being presented with a male gaze is that there is then a lack of female perspective. And even when there is a female lead, if the story and character have been written by a man and directed by a man, the chances are we're seeing a male's portrayal of what he thinks a woman acts or feels like, rather than seeking a first-hand account of the story. This prevents women from sharing everyday experiences on screen, which then makes them feel odd when they happen to them in real life. It can also lead to a lack of understanding about what is available to women. If we've never seen it, how do we know even to ask for it? We also set unrealistic expectations or lower our standards according to Hollywood fiction. Now, while sexism doesn't need a test to be evidence, it seems that some refuse to see sexism or misogyny without one. Enter the Bechdel-Wallace test. Now, the Bechdel-Wallace test is a measure of the representation of women in fiction. It's named after the American cartoonist Alison Bechdel, who in 1985 wrote a comic strip called Dykes to Watch Out For, and that's the first time the test was introduced. Um, Wallace was actually a friend of Bechdel's who she credited for the idea. Now, the test has three parts to it. The first, it has to have at least two named women in it. The second is these women have to talk to one another. And the third, it has to be about something besides a man. This is a really, really low bar, right? And even though it's so low, I think just over 50% of films manage to pass this, which is just pff, mind-boggling. Um, I think there is a, this is so important because it just shows the disparity between female and male roles, as well as reinforcing a narrative that women should be seen and not heard, and when heard, only talking about men, our saviours, our desires. Oh, baby, oh, baby. I'm now going to take a pause here. If you'd like to reflect on what you've heard this evening, please... Uh, Jump in it, now. It's perfectly circular in terms of what you're bringing up, Ellie, because it takes us back to the sorry, what did you say moment in that the first thing that seems to be thought about is, well, what, what, how does that relate to the men? You know, and the men are going, well, what has it got to do with me? Why are they, I, you know, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in going to see this film that's about women doing strong. That, that's for a, that's for someone else. That's not for me. And this film that's about men for men written by men i don't want to see the women talk what well, what's that got to do with me nothing don't yeah i it. mean until me too you're absolutely right Anne marie it was that no one would go to see that no one wants to see female-led uh stories 
stories that w- women aren't interesting women's lives aren't interesting men are the ones who lead interesting lives you know wars that's men who have those the women who who you know worked in the munitions factories and you know even like you know women who were amazing spies like um uh oh the the kiwi aussie one um something mouse they called her anyway but she was extraordinary um you know and, and eventually there was a film with kate uh blanchett, one, blanchett? yeah uh about her but um you know these stories don't get told equally and also stories about women's you know historically yes a lot of the time women have lived in private spheres and those stories are dismissed um and you still have right you still have the term chick flicks yeah, you know, we're we're totally expected, yeah. and we've been raised all our lives to go and uh, consume all this actually very gendered male story content, you know. And we we but we haven't stopped and thought about it as well. It's male, so it's not for me, you know. But that's what you still get from I'd say the majority of men would say, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to see a female-led film because that's not meant for me. That's meant for the women. And also it's going to be shit because that's the other thing that they say. Women's films, films about women, films led by women are held to a much different standard than films by and for men. There's two things around that. So one, it's not just films led by women, but if, like films with women are in and then actually they don't really do anything. They, they don't have any agency and they don't move the, the plot along. But also when a film is led by women and is then shit, it's blamed on the women. Examples being Ocean's 8 and the uh, new Ghostbusters film. Both, like, basically they made Ocean's 11 with women in it and with some really great actresses in it, but actually it was a bad film. It had nothing to do with the fact there were women in it. It was a bad film. And the same with uh, the Ghostbusters film led by women. It was It was just fart jokes and it wasn't good. I didn't mind it for what it is, which is supposed to be, you know, some light entertainment. And actually, when you go back and watch the original Ghostbusters, I know, sorry, and I know this is going to upset some people, they're not all that. And also the fucking misogyny in those. Everybody's trying to basically, you know, molest Sigourney Weaver every opportunity they get. So, you know, the Ghostbusters, again, I think this proves my point personally, which is that they get judged differently. I'm not saying it was a good film, but I'm saying the same light crap you know trash content sort of or it's not even trash i shouldn't say trash or crap but the just the light entertainment you know there are so many films like that with male leads and everyone just goes oh well that was a bit of entertainment wasn't it didn't american pie make it to like number four is there four american pies (laughs) it's definitely three of those fuckers and like it's just locker room talk and people having sex with apple pies like yeah. men literally doing <laughs> apple pies. How have they made a franchise out of that? I don't get it. I just don't understand. If it's a bad film led by a bunch of men, it's not because it's led by a bunch of men. It's like, oh, well, it was a bad film. Yeah. But the point is, is that everywhere it was like Ghostbusters, uh, Ocean's 8, numerous other films led by women. Well, it's because it was led by women. Absolutely. And that's exactly it. It is. It is a reflection of what is believed to be the norm what is believed to be the base case and maleness is base case and as ellie said maleness in terms of 
the cast, but not just the cast, the writers, the crew, everybody involved, the male gaze, the lens through which the story is told. You know, and so, of course, you'd, it would never occur to you to criticize a Martin Scorsese film as being because it's fucking Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio again doing navel gazing about manhood. You know, <laughs> of course not. Um, and in fact, this is what you win Oscars for. It, we, so many Scorsese films are really shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, they'll never be criticized because, oh, well, it was male led. And whereas because female led is not the norm, it is the other. That is the bit that will be attacked, not just as you say, well, it wasn't a very good film. And also, I do maintain they're held to different standards. I completely agree they're held to different standards. And I feel like as soon as there's a either female directed or female led or female written film, that seems to be the focal point. That's the thing that people are talking about. And then they watch the film. And while they're watching the film, they're thinking, what man's version of this does this compare to? And how is it not as good as that? And also, even if you're thinking of, of chick flicks or films that are sort of quintessentially described as the demographic for women, even chick flicks primarily are about the woman getting the man. It's still focused around the man. I'm thinking of things like 27 Dresses. The, the, the whole thing is obviously about her being a bridesmaid all the time, and eventually she gets to meet the man and she gets to be the bride. You know, yeah. the chick flicks, you know, Legally Blonde, a chick flick, it's all about her going to law school so she can win back her man and prove that he was wrong to dump her. And that's the focal point. And then finally, I'm thinking, I've watched Ghostbusters recently because I don't work that hard. And also Ocean's <laughs> Eleven. And I'm thinking, I don't think Sigourney Weaver gets to talk to any other women. I don't think Julia Roberts gets to talk to any other women. And I'm not sure if Ocean's Eleven and Ghostbusters would pass your Bechtel test, Ellie. It's an interesting, interesting one. That's that's my homework. I'll take that as my homework this um, mm. this time. Homework for everyone. Absolutely. I know. One other thing I just want to add in there before we move on to the two to the two themes was the power of the dog. I don't know if you guys saw this 2021 <laughs> film with directed oh, by Jane Campion. Yeah. So is this the one with Benedict Cumberbatch? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it's been critiqued because the ending of it. No spoilers here, but the ending of it was so clever that some people have to watch it twice to fully understand just how clever Jane has been as a writer, right? <laughs> and she got critiqued for that. She got criticised because some people didn't get it first time round. And actually, that that's astonishing. Again, there's almost now a female... Uh, a female director has then been criticised for being too clever and, and, and like too smart-witted uh, for her audience, which is just you know, probably turn her little brain off and get back in her box. Yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. She doesn't get to be clever. Come on. Don't yeah, or you know, hard, okay, you know? fine, okay, she's clever, but then she's a crap writer because she wasn't able to take her audience with her in that classically yeah. American way where you have to tell them five times what you're telling them and showing them <laughs> because you can't possibly get your audience to do any work. Absolutely, yeah. So we get criticised. Like, if you do too good or not good enough, there's a the level of twists that so people can handle like... is, you know, six cents. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So we've just dissected the film industry, but we're now going to jump into two specific themes. Now, the first one of those is sex. Now, I think sex is such an important 
thing in film because actually for a lot of people this is where they first see it it's where they get a little bit of education around it it's where they might be introduced to the idea of foreplay um rather than just straight into the sex foreplay in films (laughs) you'd like to think again an opportune moment to have introduced it but it's not always introduced um and the reason i found this such an interesting theme and again i'm sure we've all got stories here the first one, and I've definitely spoken to you guys about this, is the idea on film that the second somebody or two people start kissing, they almost immediately end up in bed. It goes from kiss to bed and sex within a matter of moments. And me, as an impressionable teenager, genuinely thought that if I was to kiss somebody, I would end up having sex with them. And it terrified me so much that I became incredibly frigid. I wouldn't touch anyone. I wouldn't hold their hand because I was so concerned it would escalate as quickly as it had escalated in film. I don't think people realise actually how much we learn from the media. And this is why all of the... So one of the things I think we should maybe like preface this with is we get it that films and TV are not supposed to be perfectly real. They're not supposed to be that. But just like a little bit of reality sometimes helps in these situations because this is how we learn stuff. Absolutely. Because there's nothing else. Sorry, because there isn't anything else. When you're when you're uh, a young teenager or actually one minute, an older teenager thinking about my own experiences everyone should start a little bit later at least 16 um you don't you don't get to learn like sex ed is uh, a male gets an erect penis and then you know inserts it into the female and that's how you get a baby and that's sex education so wear a condom everyone and that's what you think happens and there's no discussion about foreplay you certainly don't have it with your parents and then pretty much all your you don't do the foreplay with your parents <laughs> I just realised how that came across. <laughs> well, well, I maintain my comments. <laughs> In, on any possible level, you certainly don't with your parents. <laughs> but all you've got is media and all you've got is is even down to just the fact that the women are in the film for the pleasure of the men, it, you know. Yes. on a day-to-day basis not just sexually that they're, they're there at the pleasure of the men and for the pleasure of the men that's that's what you look at and it's oh, okay well now I'm getting close to a man oh so I've got to I've got to start performing because it's all about him mm. I think that's the one of the another thing that comes up with sex a lot in film is the fact that often it's just from a male gaze it's the male point of view he's getting his leg over on a woman he's kind of he doesn't need to get her ready in any way she always orgasms He's always perfect in bed. Even if it's first time, he knows exactly what he's doing and she's having the time of her life. It's just not true. And I think what's really interesting is, again, we go back to this idea that women are always nude um, or certainly more nude in films than men are. So it's also this kind of sexualization of females and that they are there for the man's pleasure. When we're watching sex in films, when the woman comes every time um that's then suddenly expected so as a woman am i is that something that's supposed to happen so do i just make those noises and as a man like the reason women i believe end up faking it is because they're like well the man deserves for me to come so that he's he can be uh he feels more masculine because he's done his job as you say, sorry, but you, as you say, he's done his job, except that also, uh, as yeah. I touched on, but you, yeah, there's, there's sweet F4, <laughs> you know, time spent, 
you know, on on arousing the woman or even, you know, in the sex, uh, making sure that she um, is having a good time. There's that great bit in Forgetting Sarah Marshall where, um, you know, the guy, uh, I don't know his name in his character's name in that film. He's Kenny from 30 Rock and he's like uh, Christian and he and his wife are on their honeymoon and it's, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how to have sex and they're not having a good time. And he goes to Russell Brand's character and then there's just this bit where Russell Brand's like, so basically it's about deep penetration, stimulate the clitoris. And if you can get the anus in there as well, that's perfection. <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> some, that's some good practical guidance for this man. <laughs> But that's the thing is, and that's the thing is that we constantly see bad practical guidance and like basically you get in bed and you're instantly in there there's no lube there's no foreplay there's or nothing contraception and no, no contraception. contraception yeah nothing there's none of that like pre stuff and then suddenly having sex like it's amazing rather than it being incredibly uncomfortable because mm-hmm. apparently he's like dry shagging you sort of so objectively you know that it's that none of that's real but it's still in there somewhere and you still worry about it absolutely yeah so i've i've definitely had um <clears throat> a boyfriend many years ago when i was still quite young in the grand scheme of things um who used to get a little bit offended if i wasn't what he had considered kind of wet enough and he was like, oh, you just don't find me attractive then. And I'm like, it's not as easy as you just getting an erection because you've seen something that you like. You know, it takes a little bit longer. And what a, what a um, way to turn someone on, right, to criticise them. Everyone knows. I know. So I'm sitting, well, yeah. So I'm like, well, this isn't very sexy anymore. I'm not really enjoying this. And now I feel self-conscious. And now in the back of my mind, am I like, am I, am I there yet? Am I, you know. And also, the point that um, I think it was Ellie made earlier, or that the general consensus is that you always have this sex on film and you have the female orgasming. I don't know if I would prefer it the other way round. I don't know if I would prefer... So either way would seem odd to me, either the man having sex with the woman and coming and then, I don't know, leaving or falling asleep. Is that what we're saying we prefer? Or or also, I tell you what would be even weirder would be if the woman comes and then just gets off and leaves. (laughs) (laughs) I would love it, but I would also think that... Sex in the City, and I hate to reference Sex in the City because it is not... (laughs) good feminist television but there is one with with carrie where she's got like some fuck buddy and i think you know that they, they they like go to a hotel over lunch or something i think she gives him a blow job and then or maybe they have sex but anyway he doesn't reciprocate basically you know he gets his rocks off and then that's it so then the next time she sees him he she gets him to go down on her and she comes and then she's like yeah okay thanks bye and he's like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> i need more of that I was just going to say, so those who are listening, just one thing to note here is studies have shown that heterosexual women are the demographic having the least orgasms during sex, and yet heterosexual men are the most likely group to orgasm during sex. Um, Another study showed that 39% of women say they always orgasm when they masturbate compared to just six during sex. And despite a study by Durex showed that three quarters of women can't achieve an orgasm during sex. Men still believe that the best way to help a woman reach climax is through penitive sexual acts. So if you are not orgasming whilst you're having sex with your partners, 
completely you're not, not failing as a woman you are yeah absolutely there's no shame around that at all and that's the thing is it is so normal and i would also like to say you could have amazing sex without orgasming like that's fine like yes. and the point is and that should be acceptable and this is a slightly different thing and again i believe on our list of to talk about is our orgasms because there was a phd thesis that was written on the inequality of orgasms and it covers some of this stuff ellie about like the the uh mismatch of men to women coming but also like men thinking that women come 80 percent of the time but actually they come 40 percent of the time and they're faking the rest of the time and uh, those are two made up stats it's but the the massive your best sex is with yourself there's a brilliant scene in Fleabag where her boyfriend's asleep next to her. I don't recommend this. Um, and she's flicking herself to Barack Obama speaking um, on a podium somewhere. And then he wakes up and be like, are you listening to Barack Obama? She slams her mouth all down. And it's like, no. Um, and you know what? If that works for you, that works for you. You know, sometimes sharing yourself pleasure and making sure that you yourself are, are pleasured is the best way forward. Well, you don't have to rely on a man. You know what I'm I think, you know, and, and, and there's all those stats. I mean, people who masturbate more also tend to have more sex and all those sorts of things, you know. Self-love is a good thing. Um, but also, why is it that that men aren't taught and why aren't we teaching or insisting on the importance of our orgasms? Because we can come. We're just saying that we yes. don't come in most sessions you know of heterosexual sex at least and yes okay it's difficult for women to come vaginally as Rhiannon said that doesn't mean that you aren't enjoying the sex but also you know there's other ways to get your female partner off if you work the clit she's gonna come yeah and so on going back to like the theme of this is like actually how nice would it be every now and then to just see a woman really enjoying it on film and not and not come like they don't they have to go into detail oh i'm sorry darling like the reason i didn't come was i was enjoying it but you don't have like as i said right at the beginning this isn't about it being super hyper realistic it's Mm. about like just a tiny bit of reality or or, you know what show the penetrative sex and then show the woman getting pleasured to climax separately and that would be you know much more realistic and well I, well not necessarily according to ali stats which are pretty horrific but i think <laughs> you know bad. a lot of the men or i think you know, the men we know the men we choose to be with you know will quite happily make sure uh, you know that that's if you if a woman wants to get there that she does and um, cuz as you said Anne marie you know i was thinking about that too which would i prefer to see the sort of fake always coming not just coming but coming together you know um, always coming together it's so or, do doesn't to, happen do maybe it happens women but... not coming which equally i'm like well that's yeah. not that's not setting up that's almost letting you know men think that uh there's no need to even aspire to that yeah, yeah. Um, i think educate <laughs> boys that there is such a thing as a clitoris because i think what happens is they learn about the vagina <laughs> And nothing else. It stops there. And it's like women are complex <laughs> beings. There is more going on in our never regions than just the vagina. There's things called a clitoris, there's a vulva. And actually what has been examined by science is that actually when you give females and males better terminology around what they have and what their body has, actually they're able to pleasure themselves better because they're able to, to discover more down there. They're able to go to doctors with better... Um, 
explanations. Mm. So actually their health is taken more seriously because actually they can be more specific about what the issues are. It's so important to educate. There's that lovely bit in Pleasantville, isn't there, where Reese Witherspoon's character gives the mum but basically educates her about female orgasm and about her, her body. And then I think there's a bit where she pleasures herself, I think in the bath or something. And that's when she turns from black and white to, to color, which actually is <laughs> okay. lovely. And you know, that film is 20 years old or something. So that was actually quite progressive. The, 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 time. the furthest I got to female pleasure being mapped out for me was Monica and Rachel trying to explain to you. I think it was Chandler. <laughs> I won and a, a bay and a bay. <laughs> 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 and he's like there are seven and it's like oh yeah there are seven and it's just like it's just again it's that mind blowing moment that everyone seems to think there's two holes and actually there's two holes and there's a lot of extra century bits that you get to play with so learn educate yourself you know have a chat with your partner and actually you know explore together if that's something you haven't done in your own time i would like to just cover two two other quick things on sex and we can like gloss over them but i just want to at least mention them uh shower sex like so all shower sex that i've ever seen on tv and films is always like super steamy and it all just works skyfall they have this like amazing shower sex there's also like pool sex any sex where water is involved that doesn't make you more lubed up for anyone who doesn't know that it just it tends to get rid of all of the natural lubrication and all shower sex is always amazing and maybe some people have had good shower sex but i think it's unlikely um the second one that i think is always funny is where like a man just like picks a woman up or alternatively doesn't pick a woman up and has sex with her against the wall despite the fact he's six foot three and she's five foot two and they haven't like at no point have they gone oh oh Ah, that doesn't no this doesn't work they're my two two other things so i it's i have had shower sex twice um and the first time the water pressure was disappointingly low and it wouldn't get warm enough and it was like in this bath shower and there was shower gel it was slippery and the tiles were cold and it was horrible and the second one, I thought, you've nailed it this time, Amory. The shower pressure was like, like the steam, it was all, and it was fantastic. But then the guy was taller, and every time he moved, the pressure of the shower would bounce off his shoulders into my face, and there was no <laughs> angle we could get at that wouldn't, like, and then the hairs across my face, and it's in my mouth, and I'm trying to look like I'm enjoying it. It was horrible. Just don't, just, just go missionary on a bed. <laughs> At least you didn't try it in a bathtub on your second go. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> my my first my first ever sexual experience was wonderful. It's exactly how it should have been. It was a bit cringe, but you know we got there. We worked it out. The second time with the same partner, um, we're like, oh okay, we've got this nailed, right? Let's take us up a notch. So we then decided to run a bath um, and try to get two bodies into a bathtub, having sex in missionary position. For your second go without much loop i swear to god it was like the funniest thing in the world right, because as soon as you there's not enough room for all the legs <laughs> one person invariably gets submerged <laughs> underwater and as soon as you get any kind of rhythm all the bath water starts sloshing <laughs> out the <place. laughs> it's not ideal it's not ideal because um, we're staying on we're moving to a new topic right after sex we are. I was going to, like, before we did that, though, yours might be the same as mine, but 
one very important thing I think to mention with sex on film. Films fail to show a female go into a toilet or a male, actually, female or male, go into a toilet after sex to clean themselves of the cum. Not just the clean up, but also, again, for all those women who don't know, you should always pee after sex because otherwise you're just asking for a UTI. So please pee after sex. Yes, absolutely. And it's always like, you know, you're watching James McAvoy and Kira Knightley in Atonement. So not only do they do it up against a bookshelf in a very, you know, apparently convenient way because no books have ever been uncomfortable, but then they go back to the fucking dinner table with nothing down her legs. There was, I don't remember there being a condom. There wasn't time for that. So I don't quite know how they achieved that. I wonder if, I'd be curious uh, whether men also um, have any of the same criticisms about the way that men are portrayed in sex scenes, because maybe it puts a lot of pressure on them. Like, oh, I should be able to lift her up and just slot it in and (laughs) fuck her against the wall. But the point, isn't it? They see it and then they're like, well, now I should just slot in. I should be able to just hoik her up. Right. So that's been one sex. We could talk about that, I assume, for days more than we actually have time for today. But Again, it's it, there just seems to have been so many moments in film where they could have offered a bit more on screen to help men and women kind of work out what sex is good, you know, what, what sex is like and actually things that they could try between them. So I feel that it's a missed opportunity and it's something that we should look to correct going forward. And I know that there are films that are trying to correct this for us. Sex Education is a really good one. Again, Normal People did a really great job. Um, Bridesmaids did a fantastic one with the opening scene. Again, she's not enjoying sex. And actually, it's quite refreshing to see that every now and then uh, this sort of stuff happens. So that is important. The second one we're going to talk about here is pregnancy. I'm going to start off with a little bit of a fact. It wasn't until 1952 that a pregnant actor was allowed to play a pregnant woman on TV. The actor was Lucille Ball, who had become pregnant with her second child during the second season of I Love Lucy. Now, it was at this time the word pregnant was forbidden to be used on the show. Uh, And this is because at the time there was something called the Code of Practices for Television Broadcasters, which prohibited anything sexually suggestive on the air. Oh, and pregnancy is so sexually suggestive. So, so much. Um, To to make it happen. (laughs) Mind blown again. Um, Obviously, a lot has changed since then. And actually, I think it's always gone like the other way. So from completely ignoring it at all, so then actually the the things I've written down here. So one of those is the ease of getting pregnant. There seems to be this, they have sex and almost instantly they're, they're pregnant. And But Ali, sorry, I would just challenge there. I mean, I think what you see a lot in film and TV, which does kind of align with real life, is you get pregnant very easily when you don't want to get pregnant. <laughs> you know, I think there's quite a lot of shows that show that it takes a while I'm just thinking like okay when friends dealt with it right I mean Monica and Chandler tried for quite a while and then they went through the fertility sort of process Brooklyn Nine-Nine Jake and Amy try for quite a while they expect to get pregnant straight away probably thanks to TV and then they have to try for quite a while um I don't know I would just I guess say that I'm not sure that I've seen the narrative where people want to have a baby and then immediately they're pregnant. I've definitely seen lots of things like knocked up where you don't intend to get pregnant and then you do. And that does happen in real life. Yes. Yeah. But I think the section for me is when, when I was at school, I think it was just post down your throat that do not have sex. You will get pregnant. Use a condom. And I think the concern about not having conversations about pregnancy in more depth than that 
before you experience it, I think can then be dangerous. Well, there's that good bit in The Duchess, you know, the um, Catherine Ryan show where she just thinks that so she she wants to get pregnant and she just thinks that she can any time of the month and there's a whole exchange where it's like were you not taught that uh you know there's only like you know two days there's a window right in in your cycle where you can actually get pregnant she's like no we were told you know if you have sex once you're going to get pregnant um and i think that also that bit uh, what we're taught reflects our society and, and our upbringing, right? People are so worried about unplanned, unwanted pregnancies that they prefer to tell you that you, you know, that that it's it's never safe to have unprotected sex. Then then to kind of say to you, well, you know, there's a window where you're fertile, but it can move around and it's different for different women, and you know, it's just easier to say use a condom every time, or go on the pill and remember to take yeah. it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because at what stage you then start introducing that conversation. And I think films are getting certainly better about making sure that every area of pregnancy is covered in film. Um, but it's that, again, if you're at school and you're being taught sex equals pregnancy, use a condom as an absolute, at what point do we start introducing that? Um, and what you tend to find is that there's some incredible, like I think soaps are really good at doing it. Like TV series are really good at introducing these things a bit slower. I was about to say exactly that. I think, as Em mentioned, there are films and there is media that covers it. And I think soaps do it quite a lot um, and more TV programmes than films. I think you're quite right, Ellie, when it comes to films. Generally, it's quite easy to get pregnant and it happens quite quickly. In soaps, it's it's quite different. Um, But of course, not everyone watches soaps um, and not everyone watches various sex education i've brought up sex education before on netflix it's so good for Mm. addressing so many of these topics and addressing a broader range of stuff around sex but when it comes to pregnancy as well they they mention condoms and they mention contraception and they all sorts of things and it's very impressive the way they no it's not impressive it should be expected but it's it is good the way they tackle a lot of this stuff carry on on your pregnancy yeah so the second one is the idea of body composition changes now the majority of actors wear prosthetic tummies uh so the only thing on screen that we generally see that's growing is a belly and i think that's dangerous and i I see i'm nodding ahead um so did you want to talk a little bit more about what actual changes happen um as a no i mean well well yes i um you put on weight everywhere and that's normal and that's what you're supposed to do um you know your breasts i think get an extra kilogram or or two you obviously there's the baby weight but also you you make like 50 percent more blood in your body that's being pumped around the placenta weighs i don't know a kilo or something um god so overall you know if you're within your bmi i think in a pregnancy you're expected to put on 10 to 15 kilos and some of that is just fat because that's what your body does it goes okay well i need to need to store um some extra fuel here um and so Mm. yeah so first of all it's very rare to not put on weight unless you're heidi klum and i don't know if that then just happens because of her amazing genes or whether it's the pressure of being a supermodel that means that you know you're even more careful uh and then things change shape as you say not just 
not just your tummy. You know, your breasts change. They're one of the first things that that changes and often they get bigger, but also like you get these, you know, your nipples change, which is quite, uh, I think probably some women don't know or aren't prepared for. And that can be quite um, uh, disconcerting, I think, you know, the, the sort of changes that your body goes through. Um, and then all sorts of just fun aches and pains and things, which again, you know, aren't necessarily. Oh, and then, you know, things like, I mean, there's, and actually this is, uh, th there's an Australian series called The Letdown that's quite good for this because a lot of women develop hemorrhoids during pregnancy. Um, and, you know, also I think it's the stat is one in two or one in three women who've had a child will have a prolapse, which is where bits of your insides fall out of the position they should be in. And this is related to, you know, pelvic yeah. floor strength and that sort of thing. Um, and because that part of your body is under huge pressure when you're pregnant and then also in childbirth. So it's very common to have a prolapse. Um, but, but, so, but, but women don't know about it. They don't seek help for it. So then they live with, you know, incontinence or pain or, and sometimes there's degrees of prolapse, but sometimes actually they have things outside their body that should be inside. It, it, it takes away women's sexual pleasure. Um, so I think there's all those aspects of pregnancy, you know, and the, I guess people know about varicose veins and things like that. But, yeah, there's quite a lot of things that happen that you don't really see explored in uh, a lot of, in a, yeah, in a lot of films. Yeah. All pregnant but, women are gluing, right? Think, that's the phrase, you're yeah. gluing. Well, that's, but that's another point. Like, like women get, sorry, women, a lot of women get acne or um, pigmentation, you know, so suddenly your face, half of your face changes color you know often around your forehead and that sort of stuff so there's a lot of things or, or or someone get extra hair growth so there's a lot of aspects which I think most women if it happened to them would not find uh, a fun aspect of pregnancy so I think one of the things on on tv the things that I notice now that I quite like so it's when uh, a woman on tv on a film or, or or on television has has a baby and they as you said, Ellie, lots of um, people will have the they'll have a prosthetic for it, but they'll go home with the baby and they've still got a bump. They've given them a smaller bump because yes. maybe some people don't know when you give birth, you don't just lose your stomach. It doesn't just disappear just because the baby's gone. It's still you still have a, a a pregnancy bump, and and so when in films they they keep a bump. I really like that. You know, I completely agree. I think keeping the post-baby bump is a really important thing. I also actually would like to just draw attention um, to just one more thing, really. And that is that film has a really great way of showing that a, a woman goes, oh, crap, my water's broken. And then they go straight into contractions and then the baby comes along shortly after. And again, the, the couple of people I know who've had pregnancies, not a single one of those have had a plain sailing kind of time in hospital. They were they, Some of those, I think the most was 48 hours in labour. Um, and... One thing that we found out a few weeks ago, which either Anne-Marie or Rihanna can jump into the story of, we're talking about this in the back of a cab um, about water breaking. And actually, there's one step that comes before the water breaking, which I was unaware of. And I'm 29 years old and we're completely so, unaware of it. So this is this is about the you're going to say no, Kayla, but and I know not everyone gets this and not everyone sees yeah, it. But basically, say, no, it's fine. I'm just going to say that it's not that the next step is always that the water breaks. That's all. You can you no, can actually no, get right. to second stage labor, which is which is pushing. 
before your water breaks. So the idea that your water breaks, then it goes contractions, then no, that's all. But I know, I know what you're going to say, and I have no issue with that. <laughs> For everyone who doesn't know, there's a thing called uh, a mu mucile or mucus plug. Um, and it is basically a plug that's in you in that keeps it's protects the cervix. baby from infection and everything it makes your cervix it, it seals uh, off your cervix and i'm not suggesting that in a film they should do this necessarily but the point is is that ellie as as you said you had absolutely no idea that this was a thing um and i only found out about it because a friend of mine whose sister was pregnant said that she'd come out of the loo and gone like what is this and then they Googled that, I mean, that is, I feel like, a failing. Yes, people learn from film and TV, but also, you know, film and TV aren't our parents and our education system and everything else. And one of the things that I'm doing with this pregnancy is taking a lot of time to, I mean, look, my mum had me at home, right, with without any medication or anything. I come from a family who are very much into sort of, um, I guess, being informed you know perhaps more than other people about about the actual process that said when I was my sister's um birthing partner we went to an antenatal class and we're like okay yeah we know what this entails we didn't know the reality of it and it what I find extraordinary is the number of couples who you know they spend so much time researching the pram and the cot and everything but not actually prepping for the birth and then you get these women who are really traumatized and definitely film and TV has, has something danceable here. Absolutely. Um, but also we're not taught what the stages of birth are. We're not taught how to prepare for that. And I just think that's a huge, huge gap in our culture. And there's a big contributor to women either being pushed into or couples, you know, cause fathers are more and more engaged these days being pushed into things that they don't want for example, inductions uh, or, or cesareans um, or medication. Um, and then that contributes to trauma, you know, because there's this whole thing also about the way that birth is portrayed as tremendously painful. And the, there's, a, there's a lot of talk in the, in the birth community these days about sort of reclaiming the, 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 power of birth you know it's just this extraordinary mm. thing that's happening and yes there's there's pain but actually kind of harnessing that pain and that's 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 part of the you know the the experience sort of and and it being an empowering thing rather than pitying the laboring woman rather than oh yeah. god look at her oh dear oh oh you know let's give her the epidural when maybe that's not what she wants um so i think there's a, also yeah Women who then have a perfectly fine birth, where the pain was fine. I've got, I think, two friends who were like, actually, I really enjoyed my birth, but they say it quietly like it's bad. Yeah. Like they shouldn't, like it should have been tough. Um, um, you saying about films not being our educators, and I'm completely with you. What was really interesting in the cab, so we were kind of all chatting away and talking about this stuff and being like, oh my God, can you believe this? And blah, blah, blah. And the taxi driver next to us, next to me when oh yeah my what that happened to my wife last night and um, and so and we were like why are you here <laughs> um and it turns out I was waiting. like she wasn't in labor yet and they were waiting but the, the plug had had come out um and and she'd spotted it and they were like okay so it's coming at some point 
and so Ellie said, how how did you know about this? And he said, oh, we learned about it at our, what is it called, ECT? Is that what it's called? Um, classes, the like prenatal classes. And, yeah, and it's like, how nice is that? Like, I didn't know that that was a thing. But also the other thing is, is that you have to pay for quite a lot of antenatal classes. So there might be people that don't get to go to those and therefore don't learn about it. There's so much stuff to learn that you don't necessarily know you it's like exactly unknown, and this is, as i was saying you know i think that's just a huge issue in our culture generally that there's so little focus put on the birth itself and there's such this and then the story about the birth is that it's going to be this impossibly painful experience i don't think anyone's pretending it's not painful you know i'm sitting here saying this now come back in six months and see see what i have to say <laughs> but uh, and, and also sorry just back to the film and tv not being our educator which i stand by however if they are going to portray it, they could portray it far more accurately than they do. You know, there's this hilarious scene in the West Wing where, where uh, Andy, this woman, is 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 having twins, and she's sitting up in a hospital bed, um, and the doctor comes in and he like you know he pulls a printout off off a off a uh, machine, and he says he looks at it and he goes, oh well, you're ten centimeters dilated. So um, you know, it then turns to the father, of course, and says, you know, get ready to meet your first one of your one of your kids in about fifteen minutes. And there's so much wrong with that. A machine doesn't tell you how how dilated you are, right? That's an internal examination. Someone's sticking their hand inside you. Which also there's a whole controversy around whether you should even be doing internals. Um, and then, you know, she's sitting there and she's like, oh, oh I, I want an epidural. And he says, oh, no, too late for that. You know, we're doing this the, the old fashioned way or something like that. But all of it is it's just so because, I mean, the, the longest and usually the most painful part of labor is the contractions to get you through stage one is what it's called, to get ready to push. And then the pushing part takes half an hour to two hours usually. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that it's not painful, but like the bit, you know, where women often end up having the drugs and that sort of thing is in that first stage where the contractions are moving the, the, the opening the cervix and moving the muscles up to push. Um, but so she'd apparently been sitting there in this bed, you know, I get, I get into 10 centimeters. Absolutely fine. And then it's like, oh yeah, and your baby's going to pop out in 15 minutes. It was just, it's. Yeah, it's a ridiculous scene. And you'd think from something like the West Wing, you know, you think they'd do better. So this is, I think this is what grates me about it. If, especially pregnancy, it's either the things they keep in are either the cute things. So the little perfect bump and the, you know, when they're going to buy their first little shoes and all that kind of stuff. Or it's the the stuff they can dramatize. It's the drugs and it's the screaming and it's. Then there's not the blood and the shit, mind you. Thank you. So if you're going to show in experience, and I, I understand it's an icky subject, but you've made it icky. It's not icky to 50% of the planet who are actually, you know, could or potentially it is be in addition to, to that one day. Be, and that's a crying shame. It that women, be. You know, women feel yeah. really, you know, the number of women who say, which just, oh, you know, say, oh, I don't want him down that end because he might not then find me attractive anymore. It's their what favorite the part of burning down. Yeah. What the fuck? Oh, eh. Did you just say it's their favourite pub burning down? Yeah, that's like a really common phrase of like, that's why you don't go down at the end, because it's like watching your favourite pub well, burn down. So oh. I've never heard that before. I'm looking at Em's reaction and she's never heard that before. Oh my God, that I I, I did not make that up. I've definitely heard that. Yeah, that's like, that's but why you don't go... who's been saying that to you? Men. Men have been saying it to other men. You don't want to go down there, bruv. 
You know, it's like watching your favourite pub burn down. A hundred percent of freezing. God, it's disgusting. It's, it's awful. children with these men. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. but, exactly. but it is, you know, women are made to be very self-conscious about it, you know, and that's one of the things. You know, in childbirth, you will yeah. shit yourself. You know, the vast, vast majority of women, that will happen. And that's not something to be ashamed yes. of. It's natural, but it's something that women are very self-conscious about a lot of the time. Um, yeah. And again, like I'm not expecting tears to come up, but actually a lot of women experience really bad tears during pregnancy or, again, latching on with breastfeeding. And some of them don't find that particularly natural or comfortable and struggle with that from the first go. And yet most films depict the perfect mother and child suckling from the very go. And it's just, it means that if it doesn't happen for you first time, what you've been presented is you feel like you failed. Yeah, although way. I'd actually, I guess in America, I mean, I would challenge that how how often you even see breastfeeding portrayed because that's such a taboo subject in the US. You know, it's either yeah. bottle feeding or you just don't see the child being fed. Um, there was a whole thing about there's a, you know, there's a, um, a magazine in the US about pregnancy and, and childbirth and I think children generally. And they, maybe 10 years ago now, on the front cover, they ran a, a child being breastfed and there was so much public outrage it was disgusting you know and there was I remember one woman wrote in and said my I usually leave this book on the coffee table but I can't have my husband and my my son seeing that seeing a child being breastfed and I was like but this is a oh, culture where you oh, know nice. you can absolutely objectify women you have hardcore pornography but you can't show a breast doing what it's there to do I once also oh, sorry and, and I, yeah. yeah and also I mean, you've got hardcore pornography, but you've also got the Discovery Channel, where yeah. mammals breastfeed. I am um, sorry. No, <laughs> I was just going to say that. It just reminded me of uh, a law firm I used to work at. One of the PAs was having her second child, and someone said, "Oh, you know, you're going to breastfeed." And she's like, "Nah," and she pointed to her breast. She's like, "These aren't udders." <laughs> I went home and I told my husband. He's like, "No, that's exactly what they are." That's the that's what they're there <laughs> they to are do. Others. You know? But she was like clearly for her they're they're a sexual, um, exclusively sexual element of her body and, and somehow using them for what they're meant to be used for uh diminishes or detracts from that. Which I just think is really sad and I feel like society definitely did that to her. I don't think people get there by themselves. Yeah. I mean, we are running tight on time, but I think there were just two other points that I wanted to raise, and we're not going to jump straight into details of them. But uh, the first is the fact that women immediately fall in love with their children and that it was the greatest decision ever made. And, you know, they may have been apprehensive before, but suddenly they're in the world and it's the, the best moment. And there was a really good film that came out in 2021 um, called The Lost Daughter, and it starred Olivia Coleman. And it's just, for me, it was really enlightening to see a mother struggle with having children. And actually, I think for a lot of film that's not the case. We're seeing, we're showing mothers who are, you know, love their children regardless. And yes. I think Olivia Coleman did, but obviously struggled with it from her own personal Touched perspective. Touched on in, in Glow as well. And there's some, some good stuff around that in Glow. Yeah. Um, and the last one is there's, there's still a huge stigma when women choose to get pregnant or get pregnant without a partner. And it's either betrayed that the partner has left um, or the pregnancy is a surprise. Um, and very rarely does the female make the decision to be a single mother. Um, and, you know, and if they do, they then spend the whole film looking for Mr. Right. And it's just, I think that's such an outdated view. And actually, it should be celebrated more that perhaps some women would like to do this on their own or 
people who perhaps don't identify as a gender would like to do this on their own. They shouldn't just be um, the narrative that you have to have someone with you to be able to to experience childbirth. I was about to say, I'm, I think that is a really interesting point and have been quite refreshed recently. One, one of my friends recently said to me, do you think you'll have kids on your own? Um, and assumed that uh, my lack of partner wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem. Other people have said to me, you should probably start thinking about getting with, getting with someone, don't you think, if you want to have a baby? And and I was just, it was just quite nice to hear someone go, e- e- would you consider doing it on your own? Without it being like a judgment. Exactly that, exactly that. Um, yeah. So we don't end on doom and gloom. I do just want to say that help is on the way or help has been like, things have been happening in the industry which have made great progress um, to help portray women in a more positive light and give them their own stories. Reese Witherspoon um, set up her own studio called Hello Sunshine and it's a completely... Um, it's a studio focused entirely on telling female driven stories on film, TV and digital platforms. And actually, they've proven time and time again that female led stories do make money for the industry. Um, so when we look at pay, Chadwick Bosman um, from Black Panther, he took a pay cut in order for Sienna Miller uh, to be paid equally for 21 Bridges. Jessica Chastain in Molly's Game also helped Octavia Spencer negotiate for higher pay um, in that film. Sherlock actor Benedict Cumberbatch in an interview with the Radio Times said that he was committed to only taking on projects in which his female co-workers received equal pay. So there are people in the industry doing some of the work that needs to be done. Um, And as we've said during this episode, there are films and TV shows and media that are trying to help show a more realistic view of women on screen. And a lot of that comes from introducing a female voice either as a director or a writer or in the music, right? And that's, that it helps tremendously because you're giving it a female point of view from the start. Um, so there is some good work going on, some recommendations which keep coming up. You've got Sex Education, Grace and Frankie. We've got Fleabag, The Letdown. I May Destroy You, Thelma and Louise, Aaron Brockovich, Maiden, Hidden Figures, Moana, Killing Eve, we've got The Handmaid's Tale, Made, Glow is the best series ever. I can't believe they cancelled it. Oh, they cancelled it. I'm sorry, Anne-Marie. It was a while ago. Was, it, I know. They I were going to do it. Uh, they were going to do another series and then COVID happened and then Netflix decided not to. They pulled the plug after saying that they were commissioning it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's terrible. Eddie, when you said you didn't <laughs> want to end on a bomb, no. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm no. sorry. Oh, but there's a film from oh, the mid '90s off the top of my head called "Set It Off," and it is about four African American women who become bank robbers, and it's fucking great, you know, and ahead of its time because because it is it's in response to the impossibility of of their situation, you know, and I just think it, it's 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 not only women; it's also women of color. And it's a great film, and it was all about women. And yeah, it's. I've only seen the trailer, so I'm I'm sure I won't be giving away any spoilers. But don't they kind of plan this around a table in a bar or something? And they think what's perfect about this is that no one would suspect them. <laughs> I think that might be the case. I haven't seen it in many years. But yeah, oh, okay, yeah. So I, because yeah. one of them I think she works at the bank or something. I think you're right. And and uh, and the fact that they're women, yes. No one's been, and also actually Queen Latifah plays a lesbian in it, which you know, back in the mid nineties, again, not uh not very very common. So great film. 
<laughs> Thank God for Em, who has just rescued us from ending on the bum note, which I accidentally slipped in there for Anne-Marie. <laughs> Sorry again about that. Um, this week's homework is simply just to try and engage with some new media, right? So if you have if you know there's a female-led film, perhaps give that a go, a new female director, scriptwriter, any of that, you know, show the support and show that there is room and space and a need for these stories um i think that's the best thing we can do going forward if we've missed any films that you've absolutely loved which have a female lead or again have some sort of female influence in the background do let us know on instagram on twitter all of the other channels which rhiannon is about to jump into now uh, the Unfair Sex is not sponsored, so if you like our show, please show your support by liking, subscribing and sharing on all your favourite social media platforms. We're on Twitter at The Unfair Sex. We are on Instagram at The Unfair Sex Podcast and you can email us theunfairsex at gmail.com.